0: Alright, hello ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to the inaugural episode of the Statesman Podcast. I'm your host, Tristan Hill, and we're going to be talking about a very hot topic for this episode, specifically for today, the March for Our Lives. Let's get in the show. Alright, so how's it going ladies and gentlemen? Thank you for listening to the very first episode of the Statesman Podcast. As I said, I'm Tristan Hill, and I actually had a completely unrelated episode recorded that was going to be the first episode. But I've been reading and listening and watching the news today regarding the March for Our Lives um, campaigns, specifically the one in Washington, D.C., because that seems to be the one that's getting the most attention. And I said, forget that other episode. Probably wasn't that good anyway. I want to talk about this, because this has me so fired up. It's hilarious. And mainly it's because we thought that the kids from the Stoneman Douglas School in Florida, in Parkland, had all but just about gone away. We thought that the media was about to cycle or something, and it was going to be done for, but... They're they're marching today, and I don't know what they're marching for. I'm not sure they know what they're marching for, but uh, Miley Cyrus sang, um, Lin Manuel Miranda spoke, and um, it's all very fishy because the people people on the left are still promoting this idea that the this this is a grass mo- grassroots movement, right, started by these kids. But my 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 issue with that is, where where does the funding come from to get a Miley Cyrus concert and a speech from Lynn Manuel Miranda and all the organization that this has gotten? Um, you know, to, just to set up the event. Now, I'm not particularly saying that these kids are. Crisis actors, or they're being paid by George Soros, or some kind of conspiracy like that. But to me, at least, it seems rather clear that there is probably, or not, not probably there is funding coming from somewhere, right? Because these kids didn't just pull their pull their money and say, "Okay, let's let's have a um, a march," and then cause all this ruckus without. Some kind of outside funding. And um, while I don't think that these kids are crisis actors, I do think they are pawns that are absolutely 100% being used. But to their credit, I don't think that they realize they're being used. I think that these kids... um, David Hogg, um, the other one, Emma. I can't remember Cameron Keski. Um, I think the, these kids really do believe st- that they are standing for what they believe in, but the the media is taking absolute advantage of them because their narrative happens to line up with the media's, and that's why they get funding and students like kyle kashuv who i am a huge fan of i love kyle kashuv to death he's fantastic i highly recommend that you follow him on twitter if you don't already he he has some of the best twitter banter there is but at the same time he's rational and he's reasonable and he doesn't just curse the nra like his classmates but regardless kyle kashuv doesn't get heard, it doesn't get picked up as much by the media. Even though he is significantly more willing to be picked up by the media, he said in an interview with Stephen Crowder something along the lines of the only interviews that he won't do are ones that are uh, that pose the pose the potential for him to be edited out of context. Whereas David Hogg won't do interviews with anybody who remotely disagrees with him. Uh, Kyle Kashuv actually did an interview with Piers Morgan, and it's hilarious. I wish I had a clip of it to play. Um, Piers Morgan ripped into the usual gun control, whatever, you know, and Kyle shut him down really effectively. It was fantastic. Um, so yeah, like I said, I highly recommend that you follow Kyle Kashuv on Twitter, because... His his reasoning and his banter are fantastic. Um, another thing that I find hilarious is that um, a few days ago it was announced by the superintendent of um, Majority Stoneman Douglas schools that students will be required to carry clear backpacks provided to them by the school and wear student IDs. And the students are not happy about this, and it's hilarious. Um, a senior at the school, I'm not going to say her name, uh, and I'm reading this from CNN, so th- this is direct from the from the webpage. Um, I know some people don't like CNN, but this is a quote with what she said, and I cannot make this up. Okay, I cannot cannot make this up. She says... Um, in regard to the clear backpacks, um, I'm not happy with it, why are you punishing me for one person's actions? This is a real quote, I'm completely serious, this is what it says, word for word, on the webpage, you can go look it up yourself. I'm not happy with it, why are you punishing me for one person's actions? It's about, like, gun control, don't you think? (laughs) Um... I find it incredibly ironic. Um, I also believe that I um, heard a source. I don't have, I mean, I don't have the source, but I remember, I I believe I remember reading a student saying that it goes against their constitutional rights, which is even more ironic because these are the same students that are advocating for directly and legitimately taking your Second Amendment rights away. But the problem with this is they are advocating for taking your Second Amendment rights away, but they don't really know it because they have one major talking point, one major buzz phrase, if you will. I won't call it a buzz word because it's actually two words. Or four, rather. Yeah, four. And their buzz phrase that they like to use is common sense gun control. They just want common sense gun control. You know, it's just common sense. Everybody should understand. Common sense? We all have common sense, right? It sounds fantastic. Common sense gun control. But no one is saying what they mean by common sense gun control. In fact, I took to Twitter to find out and I apologize if you can hear my mouse clicking. I'm going to pull this up because I want to read this tweet. Um, I just I, I wanted someone to explain to me what they meant by common sense gun control. There was um, uh, an M- MSNBC article that was posted on Twitter that said, um, The March for Our Live students said to Mitch McConnell, we want common-sense gun con, gun reform. If you're not going to give us that, then we're going to get everyone out here to vote and vote you out of office. And so I, re- I replied, and I did, because I'm a Twitter troll. Not really, but sometimes I like to engage in a little bit of banter. You know, discussion is good. So I replied, and I said... But none of them can define what specific common sense gun reform they want. They just call it common sense because that's the buzz term that gets media attention. And so someone said, they can, they have. And I said, care to elaborate? All I've heard on them say on the radio all day is common sense. And I have been listening to the radio all day because this is annoying to me. And sometimes I just like to hear things that frustrate me because they make me want to talk like this. So someone else responded to me completely unrelated and said, I don't think that you listened to everyone today. Some gave specifics and I'm going to list to you what the specifics that this person on Twitter, now I'm not, I'm not going to give this person's name because um, they didn't necessarily consent to being on the show like this. This was just a discussion that I had on Twitter. So I'm going to keep their name out of it for uh, their privacy. Um, Here are the list of specifics that this individual gave that could be considered common sense gun control. Uh, Universal background checks. The thing that outside of private sales already exists. You know, you can't go to a gun show, a gun store, a sporting goods store. You can't go anywhere with the exception of your next door neighbor and get a gun without a background check. I don't think people realize this, and I th- honestly I believe it's people don't realize this because they've never tried. They've never gone through the gun purchasing process, and so they don't realize how difficult of a process it actually is. And um, a, a good way to educate these people on this would be to get them to try to buy a gun and see how difficult it already is for a a normal person who's not a felon and hasn't been convicted. It, there's still a wait process, and you still have to do a background check, regardless of what they want to tell you. So, that being said, in, in addition to universal background checks, we have no assault weapons. This is, this is just what they said. I'm reading it as it comes. No assault weapons. But the issue with this is... There is not a legal definition of what an assault weapon is. Now, there is the bill that I believe is in the House. I could be wrong. I think it's in the House. It's called the Assault Weapons Ban of 2018. It hasn't even gone to a vote in the House yet. It's um, It's been in committee for about a month now, I think. But I've read it, and it does lay out provisions for... Um, What an assault weapon is. And it's basically every gun ever. It's... I just dropped my phone. Oh no. (laughs) Um, It's... I'm not even exaggerating. There's... um, Everything but a pump-action shotgun, basically, is considered an assault weapon under this bill that's being proposed. But... This bill is not law yet. And the... Assault weapons ban of, I can't remember what year it it, it was, um, 1994, I believe. I'm going to look it up just to be sure, so I, I apologize if you can hear me typing. Um, yeah, the assault weapons ban uh, of 1994 was repealed in... Um, No, and I take that back. It wasn't repealed. It expired in 2004. And so that means that right now, assault weapon does not have a legal definition. And you can't ban something if it's not defined. Uh, The next one on the list uh, is no bump stocks, which uh, I think is ironic because... That's the case. That's the world that we live in now. That came with Trump's signing of the Omnibus Bill. There was a provision for uh, the ban, I guess you would call it, of bump stocks. So again, similar to the universal background checks, arguing, marching for something that is already the case. Uh, The next one on this list, this person gave me, doesn't really make any sense it says no outsized magazines O U T S I Z E D and I'm not a hundred percent sure what they meant by outsized I don't know if they meant outside as in external which if that's the case almost all modern weapons use external magazines I have uh, an M1 carbine that, um, which is the gun that the Marines and the Army uh, Airborne used in World War II. Um, it was made in I think 1950s, actually, a, uh, after a model from after the war. But that gun was made in 1950, and it has an external magazine. But let's say that maybe this person meant to say high-capacity magazines, and the reason I'm inclined to assume this is because of the word sized, which still doesn't make a lot of sense, but let's give them the benefit of the doubt. Let's say they meant high-capacity magazines. The same thing is the case um, for high-capacity magazines that was the case for assault weapons. Um, States, Some states actually have laws that define what a high-capacity magazine is and whether or not one is legal. But um, the Assault Weapons Ban of 1994 uh, defined high-capacity magazines as anything above 10 rounds. But the Assault Weapons Ban of 1994 is no longer law, so to ban high-capacity magazines, a law would have to be written that specifically defines what a high-capacity magazine is. And these people don't know what a high-capacity magazine is. They just hear the words high-capacity, and they want it banned, much like the term AR-15, much like anything that gets said. Um, next up on this list, um, I'm not really 100% sure what it means. It just says mental health addressed. I don't. I'm not really sure what to make of that. So take that how you will. I suppose. And the last one is educate young and old to recognize red flags to pass to authorities. I take that back. I take it back. That's not the last one. It's the next to last. Mental. Um, educate young and old to recognize red flags to pass to authorities. There's a couple of issues with this. Okay. The in in the case of the Parkland shooting. The red flags were recognized. The shooter um, had been reported to the school, had the police called him on him over 30 times, I believe, had two reports to the FBI for comments he made on YouTube videos. Local and national levels, this kid was uh, tagged as a potential threat on. And nothing was done. By the government. But by all means, let's give the government our guns and trust them to take care of us. Because that makes sense. Right? Wrong. The other issue with this, educating young and old to recognize red flags to pass to authorities. I know how kids are. Um, there's... Uh, If there's... A person that you don't like in your class, suddenly you find them a threat, and you report them to the school, and then the FBI is involved. This is just the way that kids are. Um, This this will be a result of, one, just the nature of kids, and two, over-educating people. Now, I hate to use the term over-educated because I don't believe that... um, A person can be overeducated, but I guess in this sense, they would be uh, hypersensitive to what they are taught to consider red flags. And so, if there's a kid who's having a bad day, or they said they're going to kill themselves on Twitter, or whatever it may be, suddenly this student, which may not have had any issues previously, can be considered a threat, and the school counselors and if probably if the way that this person wants it is the case, the FBI, because these people love to get the federal government involved in everything. So suddenly if you take uh, prescription medication for depression or um, you talk about weapons or anything, you're on an FBI watch list. You know, what makes this sound like a good idea? Last... Um, the last point on this list, the actual last point on this list, is, uh, no making schools feel like prisons. Uh, the, the, the primary issue with this is the obvious one. Feelings are subjective, Sub- subjective. Apparently I struggle to speak also. <laughs> um, no making schools feel like prisons. What feels like a prison to one person may not feel like a prison to another, but I'm, I'm assuming here that this uh, refers specifically to the clear backpacks thing. And um, there's another tweet by another student whose name I won't uh, say because they're not one of the major um, March for Our Lives players. At least I didn't recognize the name when I read the tweet. But uh, it said... I want to get this right. It said, um, clear backpacks is the illusion of security. That's what it said. I think it should have been clear backpacks are the illusion of security, but regardless, clear backpacks is the illusion of security, which I find as ironic as the punishing a group for the actions of an individual because clear backpacks is the illusion of security Much like gun laws are the illusion of security, Uh, NSA spying, you know, the Patriot Act, going through full body scanners at the airport. These things are all just illusions of security, like this kid said. But some make us feel good and others don't. We're okay with. We're okay with stripping the populace of their right to suffer the preservation, if need be, because it'll make us feel good, but we don't want to carry clear backpacks because we don't want other people to see what other books we're reading or something. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. Um, It's, it's incredibly self-centered, honestly, is what it is. Um we we're breeding we're creating students who um aren't taught individualism in the traditional sense they're um taught the idea of self and uh self-importance self-righteousness i don't want my rights taken away but everybody else can have their rights taken away if it makes me feel safer and this this goes against the entire mentality that America was founded upon. You know, the Enlightenment. Um, individualism is the idea that everybody has the right to do what they choose so long as it doesn't infringe upon the rights of another individual. That's, that's the whole concept. But we, rather than... Protecting ourselves and being proactive about security for our own well-being, we would rather just take everyone else's rights away to promote what we think is security, even though it's really not. For you know, a, v- a wide variety of reasons. Um, the one that gets me the most that this argument can be made against every. Every point on this list that this person gave me. And believe it or not, I actually am grateful to this person for giving me a list of what they believe to be common sense, common sense. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That term is used very loosely now, apparently. Um, But I am grateful to this person for giving me this list because most people won't even do that. They just use the term common sense, but they won't go so far as to define what they think common sense gun reform or common sense gun laws or whatever. They won't, they won't define what they think that is. So I'm genuinely grateful for this person uh, explaining what they believe common sense gun reform is and because I get to debunk every point they made on my show and that's hilarious. I love it. Um, but one point that can destroy every Every common sense gun reform point on this list this person gave me is the sheer number of guns in America. In the millions. Most of which are unregistered. So, hypothetically, if the government got to the point that they were doing outright confiscations, they wouldn't even know where to look for... A significant amount of the guns that there are there would be I would I would estimate probably half of privately owned weapons are unregistered so the 30 million uh, I'm gonna look this up there's 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 a number there's a statistic um, and I want to get it right I can't because I can't remember off. I don't know three hundred million. Yeah, um, various estimates anywhere from two hundred seventy to three hundred and ten million. Um, I would argue that probably half of these are unregistered, and the number's higher. The number is probably like four four hundred or five hundred million. But they estimate 310 million because so few are registered. That's my that that's my hypothesis. Like this could be wrong, but this is this is my like I said my hypothesis. And so if we got to the point that we were gonna do outright confiscation, the government wouldn't know where to look for what I would assume would be half of the guns. About half would probably be registered, and they would be taken, I would assume, with a fight, right? Because that's why people arm themselves. Um, to to resist a tyrannical government is a big reason, believe it or not, because that's what our founding fathers did, and that's what they had just finished doing when they wrote the Second Amendment. So it, it kind of makes sense, you know, in that regard, that um, people keep arms for the reasons that the second amendment intends, you know. So the ones that are registered the you have federal agents going after those guns and heavy casualties I would imagine uh, of agents and civilians both. And probably a quarter of those would get confiscated. So that's a quarter of the registered guns and then all the rest that probably occasionally uh, they'll they'll confiscate via um, a warrant or a traffic stop and finding them by chance, but Americans are not going to give up their guns. That's what that's what I wager because um, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Um, and and people people try to twist the context of the second amendment as well and that really gets me um the young turks have done it uh vox has done it i believe um it's it's mostly more i guess kind of indie um news outlets rather than major outlets because i mean CNN and MSNBC, they're, they're you know, biased for their own reasons or whatever, but they don't go so far as to try to tw- twist context, I don't think, personally, because Americans would not stand for it. But these, these smaller, primarily YouTube channels, like I said, Young Turks and Vox, they get so self-absorbed in their own little echo chambers of... Them saying what their base wants to hear, and their base repeating it in the comments, that they can basically say whatever they want as long as the majority of their viewers agree, and they'll be fine. So, um, people people take like I say, people take the um, the con the uh, Second Amendment out of context, often believing that the emphasis is actually on the the first part. Um, a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. They believe that the Second Amendment sets up the, um, the military, basically, or the National Guard rights to militias. But the issue with this is um, the second part, uh, you know, the right, of the people, and um, this this uh, clause of the right of the people is shared in the First Amendment and the Second Amendment. The First Amendment says Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion, or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, or abridging the freedom of speech, or of the press, or of the right of the people to peace. The right of the people peaceably to assemble and to posit- petition the government for redress of grievances. The right of the people. Similar- similarly, the Second Amendment, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. And um, Stephen Crowder made a fantastic video on this. It's actually, um, I want to say it's a couple months old. It could be older, I'm not sure. But uh, I love it. It's great. He actually talks about how um, a private shipping company wrote a letter to President Madison asking if they could uh, arm their ships with cannons um, to to de- to defend their goods and their ships from pirates, basically. And President Madison was like, yeah, of course, the Second Amendment, you know, you have the right to protect your property, and um, if cannons are what you need, then protect your property. And this also helps to refute the argument that people make um, that the Second Amendment was written in a time of muskets, and um, higher power, you know, and higher capacity and higher fire rate. Weapons um, weren't defined in the Second Amendment, but the Second Amendment defines arms. And the reason it only defines arms is because the Second Amendment refers specifically to um, the right of people uh, the right of people the right of self-preservation, the right that people have to protect and defend themselves. And uh, this is, again, this is another Enlightenment idea. This came, this was heavily influenced by John Locke. He was one of the first to write about um, the uh, innate rights of man, uh, God-given rights, if you will. And um, Thomas Jefferson was a big fan of the Enlightenment when he outlined the Declaration of Independence, and that influenced the Constitution. And um, the Second Amendment specifically says arms, and not guns or knives or muskets or whatever it may be, because it's about self-preservation, self-defense from anything, whatever you should need to defend yourself and your rights from, and by any means you should need to, if it's AR-15s or Glocks or cannons or recreational nukes. (laughs) Um, whatever it may be, the, the, and I feel like sometimes people on the right miss this as well. The second amendment is less about your right to have guns and more about your right to self-preservation. Uh, that, that, that's really missed on both sides. Um, and besides that, there's, there's the argument that we've all heard and seen on, conservative Twitter, you know. um, If the Second Amendment was written for only muskets, then the first was written for only printing presses. And while we've all seen that in memes and read it in tweets, it's kind of worn out, but it's still a valid argument. It's still true. Um, I firmly believe that the Constitution was written to stand the test of time and it is continuing to do so. Um, This has a lot to do with um, situational morality, which is a completely different topic that would actually be really fun to talk about on another episode. But um, essentially, the Constitution was written to govern a people with a general moral standpoint that all had an agreement on what that moral standpoint was. And that's not to say that there weren't murders and things like that, because there were, there've been murders throughout time. Cain and Abel, you know, it's killing and evil have always been factors in the world period. But um, in modern history, we've, we've, we've kind of shifted the idea of right and wrong and that everybody has a viewpoint. So that means everything is subjective. And so you can't, you can't say that there is a morally right and wrong because that may be different for everybody. And these ideas get into people's heads and, um, bad things happen. That's the fact of the matter, you know, bad things happen. And, um, People think that rather than being a moral people, we should, and and focusing on morality, rather than, you know, promoting a general consensus of what morality is, um, we should restrict rights. And uh, this this goes, like I said, this goes against everything that this country was founded upon, And it's sad to see it happen. And it just goes to show that the fight for our rights never ends. Uh, It it was a battle in the Revolutionary War to secure our rights in the first place. And it's going to continue to be a battle to keep them into the future. And um, as much as I hate to say that's the case, it is the case. Um, People believe that... (laughs) There's there's a civil war coming over the Second Amendment, and I'm not sure how I feel about that. I doubt it's gonna be the case because uh, one side's gonna have all the guns. <laughs> if that were to happen, the Second Civil War would not last very long. Um, but now that we're almost 40 minutes into the first episode of the show, I would like to thank you very much for listening. Again, I'm Tristan Hill. Uh, I'm really passionate about history and politics and government, and so I wanted to just do this talk about what I'm into, and maybe people will enjoy listening. That would be really awesome. So um, if you enjoyed, you can find this podcast on iTunes, and follow me on Twitter, Tristan underscore Hill underscore T-R-I-S-T-A-N underscore H-I-L-L underscore and you can also follow the show on Twitter, Statesman underscore, T-H-E-S-T-A-T-E-S-M-A-N underscore. And engage with me on Twitter. I'm on Twitter a lot. I like to talk politics. Sometimes I get into some fun banter. <laughs> uh, arguments happen, even if they're unintentional. You know, it's great. But um, also, if there's anything you'd like me for me to talk about on the show, or maybe even guess, Uh, you'd like me for me to get on the show, let me know. Um, Yeah, talk to me on Twitter. I'd love to hear from you guys. Um, Thank you so much for listening to this, this first episode. Tune in for the next one. I have been your host, Tristan Hill, and thank you for listening to the Statesman Podcast.